Thank you for listening to Prophetic Politics. This is Thabiti Anyabwile. I want to make you aware of something special that's happening and invite you to come. March 5 through 7, 2020, Just Gospel 2020, we'll be having a national conference in Alexandria, Virginia. That's March 5 to 7, 2020, in Alexandria, Virginia, at Delray Baptist Church. Our theme this year is Pilgrim Politics. So if you've been interested to listen to prophetic politics and you've been encouraged by what you've heard in turn, in, in tone, in substance, come to Just Gospel 2020. We're going to be thinking about what it means to be Christians, particularly what it means to be pilgrims who are passing through this world, who have a prophetic political concern for the things that are happening to our neighbors, the things that are happening to our country, uh, and who are trying to think how to bear faithful witness um, in, in, our, in our local situations, in our national situations, and so on. So if you want more of this, more of this conversation, if you feel like this is an area of discipleship where you want to grow, need to grow, uh, as I do, March 5 to 7, 2020, Just Gospel 2020, Pilgrim Politics, Healing Conversations About Christians and Politics in Alexandria, Virginia. Come to our website, justgospelconference.org, justgospelconference.org, and find more information. We'd love to have you there. Hey, we might even tape an episode of Prophetic Politics, and you can join us. God bless you. This is the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez. I'm Thabiti Anyabwile. And I am Ben Brophy. <laughs> oh, we got a new new, new, intro, new podcast voice, Ben? This is my mature radio voice. There we go. Wow, I need, I need to find that for myself. All right, well. I thought it was his date night voice. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. So um, at, we, we sort of kicked off last week by talking about the upcoming election. And uh, listeners, if you'll forgive us, we have... Uh, one more sort of um, timely topic we want to talk about as as sort of this second season comes out, um, and it is the topic of impeachment. So if an election is one set of ways that we think about choosing who will be president, impeachment is in the negative um, another way we think about who our president is or who ought to be allowed to be our president, as it were. And so um, obviously, um, <clears throat> as we record this, we are somewhere in the middle of um, a current sort of impeachment inquiry and proceeding. By the time this releases, who knows where that'll have got to. Um, but because it's likely to be on the minds of people for several sort of of the months to come, we thought we'd try to take a step back from the topic and think about, well, what is it? Um, and historically, um, you know, what, are the, what, what, what divides us over it? And therefore, how should Christians think about it? Well, let's get into it, Nick. So talk <laughs> with us. What, what is impeachment and, and why is it such a big deal? All right, so I'm going to start with the kind of constitutional underpinnings of like what impeachment even is. So impe- just to, in, uh, to define it, impeachment is a process in the Constitution by which the president or really any officer of the United States, um, any judge, any sort of executive branch official can be removed from office after having sort of been duly brought into that office by the normal means. So an election, an appointment, whatever. So <clears throat> there are three sort of constitutional references Article 2 is about is all about the president. So Article 2, Section 4 talks about how the president could be impeached, and it reads, The president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on, compe- on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So that's kind of lays out why would you 
impeach and remove a president or other officer from office. And then who gets to do impeachment? Well, that's contained in Article 1, because Article 1 is about Congress. So Article 1, Section 2 says that the, says, the House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. They're the ones who bring the articles of impeachment. Then um, Article 1, Section 3, which is about the Senate, says that the Senate is the body that decides whether to improve it, whether to remove an impeached officer from office. So it says, the Senate shall have the sole power to try, as in a trial, uh, all impeachments. Uh, when sitting for that purpose, they shall be on oath or affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, that is, the Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. Um, <clears throat> so essentially, what, what that says is the Senate can choose to remove an impeached uh, president by a two-thirds vote um, after a trial. And so uh, the, way, the way this generally works, if you are to impeach a president, is the House votes to bring articles of impe impeachment. A trial is held in the Senate. The Senate then uh, votes to either remove from office or to acquit, but removal requires two-thirds. Uh, anything less than that is an acquittal. So that's, those, are the, those are the mechanics. So, what, so what's the history? Where does, where does this come from? Uh, is this just sort of dropped down out of holy writ? or We did, not, we did not make it up. Oh, right. Like so many things, we borrowed it from England. Mm. Uh, so it exi it's existed in Britain since like medieval times. Um, it's actually a similar process. Alexander Hamilton wrote in Federalist 65 that we had basically borrowed it from them. So in, in Britain, um, it's actually not a thing. It's, it's, it's kind of a lapsed uh, authority over there now. But back in the day... The House of Commons, the lower house of Parliament, would, re would bring charges of impeachment. And the House of Lords, which is the upper house, uh, would vote as jurors in a trial. So similar to our House and Senate. Um, so why did, they, why did Hamilton and others uh, sort of include this? Hamilton didn't include it. The other, the other framers did. Um, well, those who wrote the Constitution had created a very powerful chief executive in the president. But you have to remember, they were saying, we want our chief executive not to be a king. We want our chief executive to be an elected president. Um, but they, therefore, they wanted a way to check the power of that president. There are several so-called checks and balances on the president. Impeachment is one of them. Um, <clears throat> and so an elected official can be removed you know, in one branch of government, can be removed by elected officials in another branch of government. Um, I, I just want to take a moment to consider for all of us, right, this is a really radical thing. In England, impeachment was for removing sort of ministers of the king that they didn't like, but... I'm pretty sure it was never used on the king himself. Um, it's not clear that that would have been possible, right? If you think about the vestiges of the idea of the divine right of kings, mm -hmm. odds are the idea of like the, the king could be removed by anything um, just sort of isn't there, isn't. there wasn't a mechanism for that. So this was new in that regard. This was saying the House and the Senate can remove the most powerful executive official we created in the Constitution. In, and in our case, that's the only person who's been elected by everyone in America is the president. Um, <clears throat> So if you think about, you know, and I'll, I'll want you to get into this when we talk about the biblical references, if we think about how government and rulers are ordained by God, this is a really serious thing indeed to say, actually, you know, this person should be removed from that office, so to speak. So the result of this is that most debates about impeachment don't revolve around the mechanics that I've just laid out, right? They revolve around one question. When is it appropriate to impeach and remove a president from office? And so the, hence the huge debate is over the meanings of those words in the Constitution from Article 2, uh, Section 4, right? Uh, it says, uh, the president shall be removed for treason, bribery, and high crimes and misdemeanors. 
So what does that mean? That's actually the big question. Um, there are some sub-questions that come underneath this. So is impeachment a criminal proceeding? Do we have to prove that a crime was committed? Is impeachment just a political act only? So there's a cynical view that says impeachment is whatever a majority of the House and two-thirds of the Senate think it is, right? You could just make that argument. Um, or is it a little bit of both? Um, last thing about the history is that there have been three, I, I should say, if you define it broadly, there have been four presidents for which there, is a, there has been a serious effort at impeachment or an actual impeachment. So Andrew Johnson, uh, president right after Abraham Lincoln, was impeached but ultimately not um, removed from office, was acquitted by one vote, actually. Um, <clears throat> the reason they brought there was, you know, it was called violation of the Tenure of Office Act, which was a, an act that the Republicans had passed um, to try to get him, uh, to prevent him from firing executive branch officials. He had fired some of them. They said, you broke the law. We're impeaching you. The truth is that was about something much, much bigger. It was about a Republican Congress and a president who, who really, really disagreed about everything and about how to manage Reconstruction post-Civil War, right? Second, uh, Richard Nixon. Um, now, Richard Nixon was never even impeached, but um, it was made clear to him that the votes were there for both impeachment and removal, and as a result of that, he resigned the presidency. Um, for him, it was about basically abusing his office um, to investigate, to not well, it was about abusing his office to um, uh, gain an advantage over his political opponents, and then ultimately, though, it was about him covering that up. So this is, you know, one of, one of the places where we say the old saying, the cover-up, you know, is worse than the crime. Um, not sure that was actually true here, but what they got him on was the cover-up. The articles of impeachment were about obstruction of justice, abuse of power, and contempt of Congress as they were doing the investigation. Similar story with Bill Clinton um, over 20 years later. Um, it was the articles of impeachment that were actually brought for him, lying under oath and obstruction of justice, um, you know, more so than the kind of underlying uh, crime, as it were. It's just he lied during the investigation was the issue there. He was also he was impeached, but also acquitted. And then finally, as we know, uh, kind of in the current environment, we're not there yet, but there's been, there is an impeachment inquiry around the current president as well. So interestingly, no one's ever been removed from office by impeachment. Uh, one president, I mean, you could argue Nixon would have been, and so he just resigned to preempt that. Um, <clears throat> but the arguments have been made by different people about being pro or anti-impeachment, usually depending on who's getting impeached. Hmm. Um, so, so that's where sort of the debate stands now. Um, so that's kind of where we are. That, that's kind of what impeachment looks like. Uh, let me go ahead now and ask you, Thabiti, as we always do, what does, what does the Bible have to tell us about impeachment? <laughs> Turn with me to the book of impeachment, yes. uh, chapter two. <laughs> no, there's, there's no passage of the Bible that specifically establishes impeachment. So if you're looking for um, some proof text for something that is uh, in America's constitution, um, you, you're going to be searching in vain. Mm. So we're in the area of deducing from scripture a number of principles to guide us into wisdom-based applications, right? Um I want to suggest three. There are probably others that people could think of, but I want to suggest three. One, one is the first principle, and perhaps the closest thing to impeachment in the Bible, is the Bible's teaching that God establishes and removes rulers. Mm. So God is sovereign in this process. And we see that, for example, in Daniel 2, 20 and 21, Daniel writes there, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. And here's a key line. He removes kings and sets up kings. Um, so we would understand that that God is sovereignly in control of the rise and fall of government leaders and entire governments. 
The second principle is that uh, is related is that God ordains everything, that, that God ordains government in particular. So Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So we believe God is providentially at work in human government, that the formation of um, the American Constitution um, is really an act of God's providence and kindness, um, and uh, that the details of that Constitution, likewise, are, are governed and superintended by his, by his providence, including articles related to impeachment. And, and that brings us really to um, a couple things that I'd want to say here, just by way of thinking carefully and specifically about, about providence and application. The, the specific government that God has ordained in the United States is, is a constitutional republic. Um, we, we, we quite intentionally do not have a king. Going back to your comments, Nick, about uh, divine rights of kings and all that good stuff. That's, that's what the founders were in part rebelling against. And, and they were rebelling against the idea that the king was above the law or law unto himself. Uh, instead, the framers argued that the law is king and that our highest office holder should himself be subject to the rule of law. That's why the presidential oath calls him to uphold and defend the Constitution, uh, not not his own sort of desires. Um, and as you already laid out, our Constitution has a system of checks and balances so that the executive office, uh, again, is is not unaccountable and, and can't do whatever he wishes without the accountability of the other branches. Um, this, I think, is important for us as Christians to keep in mind because we, we have seen uh, from time to time throughout the history and and recently. Uh, certain Christian pastors make arguments in defense of the president um, that really suggests he, he's able to do whatever he wishes uh, because he's president. Well, that's actually not how our government works. So when we see something as rare as impeachment proceedings, um, we should understand the proceedings in light of God's sovereign and providential actions uh, in history and government. And we should understand that support for such proceedings is, in fact, submission to God who ordained government, who ordained and providentially ruled over the formation of our own government. So sovereignty and providence. Lastly, I think uh, in terms of broad principle that's, that's relevant here, I just want to hold out the notion of righteousness. Uh, we find it expressed, for example, in Proverbs 13, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Uh, this is important on the question of whether um, to think of this as a political process or a criminal proceeding, for example. Um, for the biblical Christian, there's a sense in which it's really, whether we think about it as, as criminal or political, the proceeding, that's vastly secondary. Um, what we are really concerned about in principle is righteousness. So we ought to be asking the righteousness questions rather than the procedural questions, at least first. Is our chief executive behaving in a righteous manner? Is our use of the system of checks and balances being uh, done in a righteous manner? Um, and so I think it's, it's that consideration um, for the God-centered <laughs> Christian of God's sovereignty, of his providential ruling, and the righteousness that he calls us to that should drive us to support something like an impeachment uh, clause. Um, and to have some c concern and care for accountability for elected officers um, and some concern for righteousness, not just in terms of the behavior of those who are in office, but also righteousness in how we use the mechanisms of government, 
um, that we are doing those things in an equitable and a just way. Great. Um, I think a really, really helpful um, summary, really helpful to think about it in terms of <clears throat> God ordains ru rulers, God removes rulers, and uh, it just so happens in our country the means of removal looks like this, mm -hmm. and I think we should give God praise that the means of removal doesn't look like something else, mm -hmm. um, because you could make the argument that, you know, a revolution that topples a king results in them being beheaded, as did once happen in England, mm -hmm. um, you know, is also God-ordained. That happened. He, it, it, it was clearly ordained by him. Uh, it's less orderly <laughs> than, than, than this process, much as strange as that may seem uh, for right. those who listen to and watch impeachment proceedings. That's right. I, I think what that means is if you, if you are a, um, a Christian who is um, pretty pro-government in, in terms mm -hmm. of submission to government and authority and so on, you ought also to be pretty pro-impeachment uh, as an orderly uh, I think we can say with more confidence, uh, sort of ordained, providentially ordained mechanism for removing and changing government as compared to revolution, right? Which raises all the questions about um, disobedience and lack of submission and so on. Um, so I, I think if you, if you care about government, you have a high view of government, you have a high view of authority, mm. you ought to also have a high view of impeachment uh, as a proceeding that um, safeguards accountability and righteousness. So let's let's talk a little bit about kind of what that means for how we should think about impeachment. And Ben, I'll start with you, um, since we're since we're um, since the meeting. I've both gotten a chance to chat a bit. Um, I guess my my first question generally is, as Christians, um, therefore, what's the right way for us to think about impeachment? Like, when do we think it's appropriate, and why? Oh, um, I think yeah, I would start by echoing what Thabiti said in the sense of of impeachment. I mean, there's a couple of, of checks that we have in our constitutional system on the power of the presidency. Elections are one. Impeachment is another. And, and thank God for that. I mean, it's one of the beautiful designs of our Constitution is that conflict happens within the process mm. instead of in the streets. Mm. And that is mm. that is so uncommon if you look at 2000 years of human history. Right. So that is a, a special providential blessing that I think we should be grateful for. When do what is the threshold for impeachment? And that is really the that is really the question. Um, it seems to me in my cursory reading of the Constitution is it's not just necessarily crime. It could also be, you know, improper behavior, things that bring shame on the office, depending on how wide mm -hmm. you want to interpret those words. Um, if he's, you know, if, if his character is such that it brings disrepute on the entire government of the United States, I think you could interpret those words to be like, oh, you know, misdemeanors. What are we talking about? Could could we, what does that mean? Um, mm. I think th that's one way to look at it. I think I probably defer or I probably default to, you know, this is a escape hatch or escape button. We don't want to push very often. Sure. Right. There's, if it becomes a completely political act, then anytime you have split government, presidents in the hand of one party and the, the, the Congress is in the hands of another, this becomes, this becomes an option. And, and one of the reasons uh, historians um, look at Andrew Johnson and say, whew, thank goodness that that failed by one vote, is it was for largely political reasons. And, and if you start looking at it as a supplement to elections, it, it becomes mm -hmm. something that could be used far more often. So I think I'm glad it's there. I think it's a breaking case of emergency. <clears throat> um, 
what defines an emergency in the office of the presidency, that really depends on how you, it, that's going to depend on how you interpret a variety of words you see in the constitution. Um, I, I'm inclined, mm. I'm inclined to think that overtly criminal action that is that that probably alone is enough to do it or consistent immoral unethical or criminal behavior that is against the interest of the united states would be another um but you'd really have for me i'd really have to be in the weeds on on the details and even in the current uh, impeachment hearings investigation i i don't feel like i have a full grasp of that so I'm leery of, of weighing in what the exact moment is to, mm. to pull that escape let, hatch. Let me, let me push on an older example. Sure. Going back to what you said about uh, what you said to be about righteousness, um, which unfortunately isn't in the Constitution, right? But which I think as Christians we need to be thinking about. I think it's implicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And actually, I'm going to come back to that in a mm-hmm. second because I do think that depend- you can. there's a certain reading of it that certainly makes it explicit, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but So here's my, here's my question as we think about righteousness in general. So going back to Bill Clinton, right? So um, the underlying offense was an extramarital affair while president mm-hmm. with the trappings of the office around it, certainly, mm-hmm. right? The act- th- for, for one reason or another, those bringing the articles of impeachment felt the need to not actually make it about that, mm-hmm. to make it about lying during the investigation, lying under oath, obstruction of justice, et cetera. But what do we think of that? Like looking back on it, would we, should we be rejoicing if a president can be removed from office for, say, having an affair while in office, right? I mean, yeah, that's an honest question. Should we be rejoicing? Uh, maybe at that's that quite, maybe that's not quite the right. I just mean, should we well, should we be should we be happy that 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 is sort of a definition of righteousness baked into the standard that we we as Christians can't necessarily expect everyone else to accept. I think. Yeah. Well, it's a tough question. I, I mean, the, the pause for me is that I, I just I got I feel like I have so many tributaries running into your question, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, we, we cited Proverbs thirteen thirty four, mm-hmm. righteousness exalts a nation. So, mm-hmm. in principle, we we would want our elected officials and our highest officials in particular um, to be persons of such character that that mm-hmm. character has a kind of forgive the phrase trickle down effect on mm-hmm. um, the nation the nation itself. And in fact, most sort of politically minded Christians have reasoned that way for a long time. It's only mm-hmm. recently that 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 notion that um, character matters has suffered such battering uh, mm-hmm. in the minds of, of, of Christian people. But I, I think in principle, it it was right. The older reasoning is right. Um, however, you don't have to look further than the kings of Israel to see really morally flawed people yeah. on precisely the question you're asking yeah, in terms of yeah, adultery, yeah, yeah. David, Solomon, mm-hmm. so on. And these are like the greatest and the wisest kings in Israel. Yeah. Um, so we do understand it in God's kindness and his providence um, that we can have persons in those offices that, that fail that test. Huh. And, and yet God still be, at least in terms of theocratic yep. Israel, yeah. caring for his people. Now, the United States is not Israel, um, mm-hmm. right? We're not, we're not God's theocratic people. Um, so we, we can see grace even in the midst of such brokenness. Um, mm-hmm. I think the principle would call us toward righteousness. Um, I think there's an argument, the third thing I would say, I think there's an argument to be made that were we to hold those standards more forcefully, 
we would actually get a different mm. quality candidate for the office. Yeah. Right. So it used to be that extramental affair that was could, it could doom you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, you know, without getting too contemporary, now it's like boasting about such things mm-hmm. uh, meets like no consequence mm-hmm. with the electorate. That's a problem. That that's a significant problem. Yeah. Um, now the last thing I think I would say about the the Clinton impeachment situation. You're right. There's there's kind of one thing that brought that hmm. brought that thing to the to the fore. You create the situation. Then we have a second set of things that were actually the articles of impeachment. Sure. I think that's that Clinton's impeachment has actually contributed to the the higher politicization of impeachment uh, inquiries. I, I I think that was a mistake. I, I think that was. Um, it was politically convenient, and such conveniences actually weaken hmm. um, the the restraint and the practice of this article, um, as as was feared, you know, so, even at the time. Certainly, all of us today view it through that lens, mm-hmm. right? Like like the last time impeachment happened, this was the result. What yeah. do we think of that now? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Then there's a sense in which the bar for impeachment is really high as well. So, even in the Clinton in the Clinton example, I, I mean, I think. Republicans at the time had to know their chances of removing Clinton were almost nil, yeah. and yet they proceeded anyway. Uh, it seems to me the only reason to want to do that is has to be politically motivated, which that perhaps is not a, a good motivation to pull pull the emergency mm. brake. Right? But it goes it goes both ways, right? Sure. So there's a there's a you could argue we're in the same situation right now, right? Where the the chances well, of removal well, no, are this, this is where well the chances of removal are low. Yeah. But, That's what I meant by saying. But, but, but yeah. yeah, I think the substance of concern, I, oh, I think we want to sit and think about it. Well, right, so, you know, with Clinton, you've got Whitewater, you've got all kinds of things swirling around there mm-hmm. about the propriety of the president's business dealings and behavior. Mm-hmm. To a comment you made earlier, Ben, I mean, were there um, sort of proof, were there evidence of such misbehavior, misuse of office, and so on? Mm-hmm. I actually think, yeah, that's the kind of thing that's being spelled out mm. in the Constitution. You, you talk about treason. Bribery. Bribery, mm-hmm. right? I mean, very clear, bribery. We cannot have the office be subject to um, cash favors and other kinds of pay yeah. favors right. that corrupt righteousness, mm-hmm. right? So that, that would have been, in my mind, good grounds to impeach the president. Likewise, we're, we're currently in a situation where what's being sort of thought about is whether or not the president used his office uh, in a way to curry political favor with a foreign power mm-hmm. uh, against a political opponent. Right. That, that sounds a whole lot like treason. That's treasonous mm-hmm. behavior. Um, that, those, those grounds are clear. What we mean by high, high crimes and dis- misdemeanors is kind of vague, mm-hmm. but, but those grounds are pretty clear. And yep. I think if there's compelling evidence on those grounds, yeah, surely we should be holding the president too. Uh, account for those things or any other elected official to account for those things yeah yeah definitely and actually ben i'd I'd take a slightly different tack with what you said sometimes when you vote to him sometimes i think when the house votes to impeach they do so because they they believe in whatever it is they're voting for not because they're gaming out whether or not they're actually going to secure a conviction in the senate right at least that's certainly that is certainly what nancy pelosi is on record as having said this time around right so she was she basically said look i have no idea what's gonna happen in the senate but we have to do our job, which is to decide whether or not we think 
impeachment is warranted. Well, it, it's interesting. I, 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 I choose maybe a different example, mm. uh, not because I got beef with Pelosi, but I mean, her own sort of feelings about impeachment have, have moved over the last year and some change, right? She She's dead gone set from, against it. Sure. Yeah, being dead set against it to now this is our responsibility. That's because she has the votes now. Well, but this is why I think the Watergate situation is more compelling. Okay. Because there you had... Um, That's good to be. You remember that, right? <laughs> I got oh, jokes. Uh, but no, there you had Republicans acting against... Um, their own, that's someone right. of their own party. Their own party. Yep. So, so there, that process had the appearance of a kind of integrity mm-hmm. that I think um, is questionable, at least for some people right now. And the more political the impeachment becomes, and, the more questionable is the integrity yeah. going forward. And just to give the background on that to our listeners, the Congress was Democratic at the time, mm-hmm. but of course there were not two thirds of the senators were not Democratic. Right. And so you would have needed some Republicans to join with their Democratic colleagues to vote mm-hmm. to remove. And so the, the famous story is that a group of them went and visited Nixon and said, you don't have the votes anymore, Mr. President. We will vote to remove mm-hmm. unless you leave voluntarily. And, that's, and the next day he resigned. Um, so you're right. That was different. That was an extraordinary moment oh, by for, comparison to all the others. Oh, for parties with that kind of character. You know, mm-hmm. oh. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and 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 actually, I think that's the question hanging in everyone's minds over this one, mm-hmm. right? Which is that's whether right. that we whether we might right. get to that point based on the evidence being presented. Who knows, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, I guess one thing you would you do know though is that there is a wisdom to the two thirds requirement. Yes, yeah. right. Yes. And the wisdom is that even in today's environment, maybe especially in today's environment, if you had whatever it was, twenty Republican senators saying, "Yep, we actually will vote to convict," you kind of know. Right, that sends a very, very strong signal that there's something deeper going on here than what's going on with parties. So there's mm-hmm. a wisdom to that rule, yeah. I think. Amen. Oh yeah, yeah, the, it, because it it makes it less political uh, in the sense of it, it is going to require <coughs> unity amongst a, a diverse group of interests. And I think, I think one of the reasons publicly impeachment now is mm-hmm. it's a mixed bag in terms of the response, right? Like literally, yeah, for sure. 50-50 with decline, like declining popularity the last poll I saw. So, you mm-hmm. know, the reason I think that is is because the perception, don't know what whatever is real or not, that's a separate issue, but the perception is that everyone's acting in their self-interest. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, Pelosi or whoever it was back in the day and Clinton, you know, when they say, oh, we're, we're being high-minded about this, like no one, no one believes that. And so to your point, O for party that would put principle above party that public trust is gone. Mm. And so I think that really, which leads me to a larger point, is this structure, the structure of impeachment, it's a wonderful thing, very wise. However, structures need good people to make them work. Sure. And so if we're in a place where there's a deficit of that, impeachment's not going to save us. Now, don't hear me as saying, like, we shouldn't do it, we shouldn't pursue it. If it's, this, You're absolutely to. right, though, about that. But, yeah, the, the issue is the, the people, if they're not willing to use these structures as they're supposed to be used or for noble and righteous reasons, we're in trouble. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ben, th- to your point, the rules of the Constitution state that essentially any Congress at any time, if they're the opposing party of the president, could vote to impeach that president tomorrow with no process underlying it whatsoever. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? And, yeah. and so put the wrong people into those offices and you will get an abuse of that power. Yep. Right? Yeah. And, and actually there are other countries that have impeachment clauses in their constitutions, many of them in Latin America, where that's exactly what you see happening. Mm-hmm. So um, that, I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's just an argument for taking um, the election of every office at every level of our government mm. very seriously. Yep. 
yeah. and looking for character in all of those elections. So with that in mind, there is a quote I want to read you guys, and uh, we'll, we'll, re- we'll reference this, but it's, um, there was a long uh, cover story in The Atlantic a few weeks ago by a guy named George Conway. Ben, you're laughing. No, no, because uh, he's famously married. Because he is Kellyanne Conway's husband, which is <laughs> I mean, it's delicious. I want, we all we all want to know what that kitchen table dinner table conversation looks like. But I, I'd rather not. I know. This anyway, is going to be brutal. So, but but anyway, George Conway has established himself for some time now as a, on the one hand, constitutional conservative Federalist Society Republican. I think those that's that's quite clear. But also someone who, over the last several years, not right away actually, but over the last several years, kind of become a very very vocal critic of the president. So he wrote this cover story. Um, uh, it was mostly about generally how he thought the president was unfit for office. And I'll, I'll leave that for another day. But he, he wanted to dig in a little bit as a good constitutional conservative would do on the history of impeachment as a sort of a clause uh, in the Constitution and what it means. And so there's this quote where he says, <clears throat> one of the most compelling arguments about the meaning of those words, that's high crimes and misdemeanors, is that the framers in Article II's command that a president faithfully execute his office imposed upon him fiduciary obligations. As the constitutional historian Robert Nadelson explained in the Federalist Society Review, the founding generation understood high misdemeanors to mean breach of fiduciary duty. 18th century lawyers instead used terms such as breach of trust, which describes the same thing. Parliamentary, this is in England, parliamentary articles of impeachment explicitly and repetitively described the accused conduct as a breach of trust. Um, And 18th century British legal commentators explained how impeachment was for high crimes and misdemeanors was warranted for all sorts of non-criminal violations that were in essence fiduciary breaches. So the idea there is you are a public official, you've been elected or appointed, and you have a public trust. That's right. And you have violated that public mm-hmm. trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not acting in the interests of the people that elected you or appointed you or whatever that is. And therefore, you should be removed from office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so high crimes and misdemeanors s- seems mushy to us. But it's clearer in the law. But actually, in like history and in law, yeah. that is what it meant. Yeah. Uh, I, this, think, yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, we used you know, you think of John F. Kennedy talking about public service. Ask not what your country can do mm-hmm. for you what you could do for your country, et cetera, et cetera. That whole ethic underlies so much of what our, our constitution is set up as. And I think it's received as hokey now, but it is a public service. It is a public trust. And so if you, mm-hmm. if you put yourself as the individual above that public service element, you're, you're essentially not fulfilling the obligations of your office. And mm-hmm. yes, a removal by election, preferable or impeachment is is legitimate yeah yeah but and, and it's it, it's a recovery of this notion um that that seems really important to me really vital to me a recovery of this notion of public trust in the electorate i think we get lip service to lip service to it you know we mm-hmm. you, you work for the american people you know the white white house is you know our house the people's house uh, we we give this kind of um civic lip service to it uh, and as Ben just said, I think we, we receive the idea as kind of hokey. Um, but honestly, this is part of the marrow um, of, of any mm-hmm. healthy government. You, you, you sort of drain this marrow from the bones of our government. And what do you leave yourself vulnerable to? Well, you leave yourself vulnerable to very powerful people acting not on behalf of the commonwealth, on behalf of the people, but on behalf of themselves or, or any other sort of mm-hmm. interest that, that's not consistent with the people's interests. This is why sort of other practices like 
uh, conflict of interest and divesting yourself of other uh, business interests, for example, when you mm -hmm. take these offices, has long been understood to be necessary uh, and healthy. Yep. Uh, and when you don't do that, you just make yourself as a leader vulnerable mm -hmm. to lots of temptations and pressures that um, can indeed lead to sort of breaches in, in, in the public yeah. trust. Yeah, definitely. And actually, that brings me to one other point that I think is important about impeachment, which is it likely has a deterrent effect. Mm. So there, I, there are four cases, right, where it's been seriously considered. Mm. How many crimes went undone, right, or uh, temptations unfulfilled because of the threat of impeachment? We to hope a lot. I think yeah. that's, it's hard to hard to prove. Counterfactual. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, yeah. I guess all I'm saying is even knowing that such a thing exists, right, mm -hmm. does restrain, I think, the behavior of the person in that mm -hmm. office, and it should. And the analogy there would be to something like church discipline, mm -hmm. right, that that the, the sort of power of discipline in part, the sanctifying pressure of discipline mm -hmm. um, comes with the threat of discipline. Yeah. Not not the act of discipline uh, for most people at most times, yeah. and so um, yeah, that's yeah. right. Rebuke them in the presence of all, so they that's learn exactly to fear. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and just to, and just to take it further, and Ben, you can edit this out if you think it's too timely. But <laughs> I would say, well, no, like I think one of my great fears for the current process, right, is suppose the facts look pretty bad. Suppose then that an impeachment occurs and the Senate acquits. Suppose then that a few months later the president is reelected, right? That's the opposite of the deterrent effect, right? That's the I can do whatever I want. Then impeachment becomes no no teeth. That's right. When it that it, becomes it needs yeah. to have some teeth, right? And then it, I, so I think getting away from the current circumstances, I think if it becomes a purely political act being used on the interest of one party or another, right? In the sense of like. So the Senate deciding not to remove should preponderance of evidence demonstrate that the current president should be removed. Mm -hmm. If they, if they mm -hmm. refuse to act, which is also a political act because of political considerations, instead of thinking about that public trust, then impeachment is purely nothing but a power tool for one party or the other. Whether they lift it or not, whether they exercise it or not, mm -hmm. it becomes a political <laughs> consideration of, well, will this help us maintain power or not? Instead of, is this person disqualified from his office? And that, I think, would be obviously bad. Right. Uh, impeachment needs to be a tool to constrain and remove bad behavior. Yeah. So let's, let's, let, let, let's, let's touch briefly on the current situation with this question, which is to say that as Christians, um, the way I think actually, Ben, the transmission mechanism for that, though I wish it were something else, right, is that as Christians, we're voters, right? And as Christians, we vote for those elected representatives who are yep. all going to have to, all of them are going to have to go on the record at some point in the next several months, whether members of the House or members of the Senate, about yes. what they think, right, of this particular case. Um, and for, for better or for worse, many of, the, many of them are watching the polls and basically asking, well, how is this polling? And on that basis, that's influencing, yeah. right, whether or not they're going to vote sort of one way or the and other. And I think that's a shame. Yeah. That being said, 
that does mean that in some sense we as voters, right, are also jurors well, <laughs> in impeachment proceedings. Right? We all live in D.C., so nobody votes <laughs> well, okay, on, but, on our behalf. I appreciate but, that, Ben. Yeah. I appreciate that, Ben. We'll have a whole episode on D.C. statehood uh, sometime soon uh, because I do think that's actually quite important. We have, we, the three of us have no impact on anything. None whatsoever. We're telling all the rest of you in real America right. um, right. what, what, how you should think about it. So, so I guess the question is if you're a Christian and you – your representative asks you what you think, what they think, what you think they should do, right? How do we evaluate the evidence in this or any other kind of impeachment proceeding? How, what's what are what are what's some advice we'd give to our brothers and sisters about how to do that? So I'm going to say something potentially radical, but if it, if it's if I'm talking to a congressman or senator who's evaluating <clears throat> these things, what as a Christian, what do I think they should do? Um, and I know you're talking about other voters, but I'm thinking like. If I'm voting for the person who's going to have this responsibility, what I'd want to say to them is you are in a position where your job is to know and find the truth. Like I am removed several mm-hmm. degrees. Information is going to be filtered through various media platforms. You are there. You need to find the truth and act appropriately. So mm-hmm. if the president, this one or another, is guilty of these crimes or treason or bribery or whatever, then you need to act in accordance with what the law would have you act as. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I would say to, to my elected official and I would vote accordingly. Right. Mm -hmm. So if it becomes painfully obvious in our current situation or another, that the president is a criminal and my elected representative does not act appropriately to remove him, then I'm going to vote against that person. Most likely. I mean, there's, I mean, if they're running against Hitler, probably not. But there's, it is a, it would be a serious consideration for for my vote. That's how that's how I would look at. Yeah, I'm I'm with Ben entirely on principle. Um, We are electing officials. We are giving them jobs. We are delegating to them certain responsibilities and authorities. And uh, we've elected someone to Congress. One of them is defined by the Constitution. One responsibility and authority is this process of impeachment. And just as we are interrogating the righteousness of the whoever's being impeached, we are simultaneously observing something about the righteousness of those who have the responsibility to impeach. Yeah. Um, and so holding those folks accountable to do their jobs on behalf of the people to take what we have delegated to them and to exercise it, I, I think in principle that's exactly right. Here's, here's what's hard. In in the context that we're in, with so much sub, subterfuge, with so much misinformation, with so much, um, frankly, lying all around the board and shading of the truth, we still have a job to do as, as voters to figure out as best we can uh, what's true, what's accurate, so we can hold those folks accountable. Um, ben has, has been using the language of painfully obvious. I don't know if that's an intentional word choice or just... Uh, but I, I just I just want to use a reasonable man test, mm. right? Um, because I think that's about as good as we can do in an environment um, that that sort of hyper amounts of information um, with lots of spin and lots of framing and very little sort of just bare reporting of the facts. Um, so I think you've got to find that news source that even if it has a slight tilt in an editorial direction does a better job of mm. just sort of recounting the facts uh, as they are. So you know, hypothetically, NPR versus Fox or CNN. 
Um, you're still going to get a tilt with, with an NPR, but often you're just going to get more straight, classic journalistic reporting. Yeah. Um, you probably have to spend some time in public records, uh, some mm -hmm. public reports when they're made accessible so you can determine for yourself what you think is true mm -hmm. and then act to, in all the ways that Ben was describing. And that is a great preview of our episode on epistemology. <laughs> yes, yes, it sure is. Um, I'll I'll uh, I'll uh, go one step further on that, Anthabidi, which is like one thing I'm learning from the current impeachment proceeding, especially in the year 2019, is that most of the primary source documents are online. That's right. Right. The call transcript of the July 25th call is like six pages long. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember reading that mm -hmm. right as a way of being like, well, what do I think went on here? Mm -hmm. um, and there are other things that you yeah. can read, too. And you can watch the witness of two to three testimonies yeah. in front of Congress. Yeah. Uh, talking yep. about this very issue and that's right try to discern for yourself what's real and what's not yeah. now again different people are going to have different margins for this like the single yeah. mom with three kids working a full-time yep. job I, I get it mm -hmm. but if you do have the time and the and the privilege of of being informed then you probably should avail yourself of those resources yeah i i want i, I want to make i want to make a slightly stronger appeal Okay, because I think one of the things that we we wrestle with the average Christian, the average American, we wrestle with is a kind of um, despairing apathy and 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 unbelief that um, treats these issues as unimportant. Now, I don't think they're ultimately important. So there are other things to care more about your kids and your family and so on. Um, <laughs> But it's my, it's my sense, anecdotal, so I, I could be wrong on some empirical level, but anecdotal, it's my sense that actually most Americans are way under committed and informed and participatory uh, on these issues. Um, and these are massively important issues that affect the trajectory of the country for decades to come. Uh, and so if we are, if we're citizens and we care about citizenship as we ought, uh, I want to encourage us, even if we are busy single moms or uh, busy dads working two jobs or whatever the case may be, read that six-page transcript. You know, check out at least the highlights from the testimonies. Um, you know, lean into these issues that have such consequence nationally uh, and the issues that have consequence locally. You know, uh, lean in and learn something about those things and then act on it because... Um, in a very real sense, lives are lives are tremendously impacted by um, what goes on, and and the news outlets will turn into, you know, teledrama, but actually at the bottom, what we're talking about are the lives of millions of people being affected, and so lean into it. I think there's a caveat you made there that's helpful, or not caveat, an addition you made there that's helpful, which is the local. So there are there is for many reasons you should be up to date on what's happening locally. For nothing other than that's what's going to affect your day-to-day -day life <laughs> Most more. Most immediately, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and the levels of corruption in local government <laughs> will stun you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I think we as Christians, if we care about righteousness in government, we need, like, like hawks need to be all over unrighteous behavior in a local government where it flourishes because the, the, the light mm -hmm. is just far dimmer uh, on local issues, right? There's just so much less attention paid to that stuff. And what I do think that also means as a practical matter is when you read, even when you read the 
whatever, whatever source documents you're doing your own fact finding, you got to ask kind of friends from diverse backgrounds what they think of it. You kind of got to get a sense of where people are sort of feeling about that um, and try to get views that are different from your own to try to discern the truth, kind of go after it. Um, I do think that's really, really important. And I think too, I guess going back to what you said, Thabiti, just to note that like um, impeachment is a normal thing that can happen and that should sometimes happen. So don't believe those who are saying, because in every case where a president has been impeached, there's been language mm -hmm. of this is an attempt to undo an election. Right. This is a right. coup. No, a coup is something outside the Constitution right. that isn't that's permitted, right? right? right. <laughs> like, you know, this that's is a thing right. that's in the Constitution, that's and thank, right. thank goodness it's there, yeah. right? And so, it, which isn't to say you should be more for it or more against it, but just to know that it's a, it's a legitimate option on the table, and you then have to decide whether you think it's, it's, it should be exercised in this case. I mean, the language for, the, for impeachment, the, you know, when the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice shall preside. Now, I know that's a conditional when, but... It's mm -hmm. clear that language seems clear to me that there's an expectation that it could happen and probably will. It, that's yeah. right. It presumes yeah. So yeah. when it happens. They totally they totally said the thing. One thing the framers feared was the election of bad people to that office. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah. so they, they wanted this remedy in there. And so it's a remedy we should take seriously and that should we should try to kind of be discerning about. And I do. I do think, Ben, you're right. The episode on epistemology we're going to have out later this season um, will be important there because discerning the truth is getting harder and harder and harder. Um, and it's something that we also need to pay attention to as Christians. Yeah. yeah. Amen. All right. Well, with that, uh, Pastor T, you want to go ahead and uh, do the honors, pray us out? Father, we thank you that you are sovereign God who rules over all things. We thank you that in your kindness and your providence, uh, you have blessed us in this country uh, with a form of government that um, has led to the blessing of many. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for the um, wise remedies you have left in our Constitution, though it's not a perfect document. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to pull the levers of government. And we pray that you would help us uh, as Christians to, Lord, um, fulfill our responsibilities as citizens of this earthly kingdom, but to do it, Lord, with the mind and the heart of citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Um, so help us, O oh Lord, and, and we do pray, bless our country and um, show your kindness to us uh, in these important matters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.